And welcome into the Pros with Joe's podcast. This is our first episode, and we're super excited to have you come along for the ride with us. I'll be your host tonight. I'll, my name is John Dansby, and riding alongside me is my friend and the co-founder of the Pros with Joe Charity League, Eric Romoff. Eric, glad to be here, excited to join and watch this play out. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a, a ton of fun tonight. Um, and, and I'm, I'm really excited to get the, the podcast kicked off with, uh, with the charity league. We are in our second season and we really hope to get a podcast going in year one, but it was a little too much to take on. So super pumped to, to get this off the ground here in, in year two in 2021. And for all of you out there who are listening and have no clue what pros with Joe's is, we are a charity fantasy football league where we pair off industry experts, uh, fantasy pros, analysts, writers, TV personalities, podcast hosts with the followers and listeners that trust them. So every single team in our league is a pairing of a fantasy pro and an everyday player who donated to the charity of that pro's choice. And what we're going to be doing here on the podcast is really to spend a little time recapping everything that went on in the league. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about some of the goings-on in the NFL and uh, the fantasy landscape across the league. Um, and then we're actually going to pull in every single week uh, one of our teams. So this week we've got Shane Barrett of the Fantasy Collective and his running mate Jeff, Jeff Gustafson. So we're going to be hearing from them a little bit later on. But ultimately, really, really excited to get this thing off the ground and can't wait to, to see how it grows from here. Awesome. Yeah, I'm just uh, – I'm really – Really proud to be a part of this. Um, but let's get started. Uh, week one is officially in the books. Uh, we had some some winners, some losers, uh, and we've got a, a bit of an outlook for the for the season. Um, everything's still pretty fresh, uh, and so we're we're gonna kind of talk about the week one recap and uh, talk about the the weeks ahead and and the matchups and and go into a little bit of the waiver wire and, and, and what's to come in, in season 2021. So Eric, you want to talk a little bit about the recap from week one? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the way our league is structured, essentially it's three 14 team conferences and each of those conferences is playing with its own player pool that eventually merge into a single bracket uh in route to to crowning an eventual champion so so uh, so not complicated at all (laughs) exactly super straightforward (laughs) don't even think i need to repeat this um so this year our three conferences are the pizza conference divided of course into new york and chicago style the wings conference divisions within our traditional and saucy nugs and then the nacho (laughs) conference divvied up into bel grande and libre so oh. looking across those three conferences, um, that they, they actually each have their own texture. Um, you know, no <laughs> no shade to the other conferences, but pizza came out really strong. That conference averaged about 132 points well, and really evenly distributed across all of the teams, all of the 14 teams within. Uh, the, the Nacho Conference itself was a little bit more top-heavy, some really, really big scores up top from teams like Jim Coventry, um, but some teams on the bottom just kind of laid an egg in week one. So, uh, so a little bit wider of a range in, in that conference. Uh, and in, in conference three, the Wings Conference is super well balanced. Nobody really blew it out of the park. Nobody had the bottom fallout, just a really tight competitive conference. So really looking forward to see how these play out over the course of the season. So pizza, as we all know, wins. Uh I just I, I love that the nachos are top heavy and that the the chicken wings are fully sauced top to bottom. So uh, everything that we expect from from those leagues, I guess, huh? Yeah, exactly. They're they're really <laughs> they're really living up to their namesake. So yeah. Um, shout out to our, our partners over at, at RT Sports. That's where we're hosting the league this year. And they were kind enough to uh, to lace us up with those conference names to start. Uh, and, and we just ran with it on the division names and so far, they've they've really fit the bill. So it's it's always fun when a plan comes together, right? Hey, yeah, yeah. So looking across, uh, I guess kind of the more 
uh, micro side of the league, there there were some really incredible performances. Um, you know, coming out of week one, our guy Jim Coventry of Rotowire. Um, I mean, he just absolutely ran away with a victory. Um, he he defeated his opponent by better than fifty points. He he put up the most points in the league. He actually uh, finished the week with one hundred and sixty one and a half points, and this was with Brandon Ayuk in his lineup as well as in Mike Shanahan's doghouse and netting him zero points. So Coventry wow. definitely came out with a a strong performance in week one and has plenty of upside once he no longer has zeros in his lineup. So uh, really, <laughs> really, really strong performance in, in the first week of, of the league uh, for Jim and, and his co-manager there. All right. So who's who had the best overall performance top to bottom? Yeah, so combing through the league, you know, uh, unfortunately for her, Sam Holt, one of my colleagues over at drroto.com, um, did get a little unlucky and ended up with with an L in week one. Um, but ultimately, her roster top to bottom is easily the deepest across this entire league. So within her starting lineup, she scored 134 points, um, very much so above average across all 42 of our teams. But she also had the most bench points across any of the teams in the league. She scored almost 70 points on her bench. So you think about the way that this league is formatted, the way that it's it's positionless. We start one quarterback and seven flex spots that can be yeah. running back or receiver <laughs> or tight end. Um, I, I think Sam's really positioned herself well with that type of depth because she's going to have a lot of agency with her roster and, and how she ultimately deploys all those pieces just in week one, she sort of ran into a buzzsaw. The Cap Crusaders, uh, Casey Kasim and and Mike are back together for a year two, and they're picking up right where they left off. So a bit of a tough luck loss for for Sam, but ultimately I, I think her roster has got her in a think, position to do really well throughout the year. Yeah, I think depth is uh, a lot more valuable long-term in a fantasy football league than, than a lot of people give credit to. Um, so Sam, you'll get yours. <laughs> yeah yeah for sure <clears throat> looking All through right, the remainder of what i would call the the tough luck losses uh, <laughs> there was an absolute slobber knocker of a matchup between marcus grant and dave kluge um the the final score 152.85 to 149.55 so about a three and a half uh point margin uh, and unfortunately, Dave Kluge ended up on the wrong side of this um, by by just a hair. Uh, despite losing in week one, he still walks out of uh, out of this week as the fourth highest scoring team in the league. And and really, this was this was a heavyweight fight. Uh, yeah. You look across both of their rosters. Uh, MG and Dave both had numerous players that were uh, the top scoring at their position: uh, wide receiver, quarterback tight end even. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was really uh, an offensive showing between those two. Unfortunately, yeah. Dave ended up on the wrong side of it, but I think there are better days to come for him for sure. I think so. And I think we may see them battling head to head later on based on those, those scores. So uh, who else, who else was interesting this week? Yeah, an, another close one was between Team Hoff and, and Team Betts. Uh, again, uh, about a six-point margin between those three. And and really what what ultimately decided it um, was was the five five point three points from Ezekiel Elliott. Um, you know, it, yep. it, if Hoff were to have um, you know shuffled things around, he he had the points on his bench with Devonte Parker with Dallas Goddard to ultimately make up the difference uh, that, that would have won him the week. But I, I guess the question that, that I have for you, John, is even considering the tough matchup against this Tampa Bay front that Ezekiel Elliott was facing, is there any way that you're pulling that trigger? You're pulling Zeke out of your lineup I, for I, a guy like Goddard or, or Parker? No, 100% started um, for Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, you know, he's got a prolific offense that, that, you know, he, they've got to open up their offense with the run. He's going to get the bulk of the carries for the Cowboys throughout the year, as long as he stays healthy. Um, 
no, I'm never going to sit Ezekiel. Um, you know, because you know the the one time you sit him, he's going to break loose for 40 points, and you're going to look like an idiot. So you know, I I don't know, but uh, personally, I would never sit him. But you know, that kind of leads us into you know the next next thing I want to talk about. Uh, speaking of injuries, uh, had a few this week. Um, you know, the waiver wire typically after week one, it, it's not really pressing unless you just really messed up on your, your draft. Uh, there's not a lot of waivers going on, uh, waiver claims, but, you know, we did have some injuries, some significant injuries. Uh, so let's talk about how the, the, the league responded with those waiver claims in week one. Um, I'll let you go over some of the winners and, you know, were there any questionable waiver claims made this week? Yeah, it's it's really interesting to watch it all play out because, um, you know, while there is no uh, actual money on the line, um, the, the charity league itself, it, it still very much so plays like a high stakes league. And in these high stakes leagues, it's not uncommon for uh, these pros to really plant their flag and and go get their guy, right? So, um, you know, you, you mentioned injuries in, in week one. Uh, arguably the two biggest, Raheem Mostert, goes yep. down early in that game against Detroit. Um, you know, what's what's old is new again. Raheem Mostert seems <laughs> yeah. to be perpetually injured. Um, he also seems to do it within about five snaps of the game starting. So you get a donut or two points in your in your lineup in this case. And um, now that thrusts Eli Mitchell into – uh, the presumed starting role for that San Francisco offense that really features the the run game heavily. He put up better than 100 yards in this first game, scored yep. a touchdown. And while Kyle Shanahan does like to rotate through his running backs, he's also shown that once someone has established that hot hand, he tends to ride it. So, yep. you know, those those are some of the reasons that have Eli Mitchell as just about everyone's top acquisition target. Uh, the second injury that really, really hurt in in week one was Jerry Judy. He was out there um, looking really sharp early in that in that Denver game. Yeah. Unfortunately, came up came up lame with a high ankle sprain. It sounds like he's going to be out for somewhere between six to eight weeks. So, yep. ultimately, managers are having to make another plan, and predominantly, that plan is Tim Patrick. He performed valiantly. Last year, when Cortland Sutton was lost with injury, mm-hmm. he very much so showed a nose for the end zone. He scored six touchdowns while he was playing in relief for an injured Sutton. So those those were the two primary targets, and where we saw a lot of the the money flying as we 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 uh, processed waivers and and ran Fab last night for for Eli Mitchell specifically. Um, <laughs> I mean the 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 big spenders were out. Stefania Bell. Yeah. Spent seven hundred and fifty dollars, seventy five percent of the, of her thousand dollar budget uh, to acquire Eli Mitchell. I uh, I, I don't want to um, uh, peek behind anyone's curtain, but Stefania, a known Forty ers fan, so there might be a little hometown bias. So yeah, in her decision to spend up there. Um, uh, following her up, got Dan Claskins uh, spending five hundred and fifty six of of his uh, Fab dollars coming in at $450. So significant chunks of everyone's free agent acquisition budget were spent to acquire the likes of Eli Mitchell. John, I don't know from your side, do you think that that's money well spent or are you still a little hesitant about what Eli is going to bring to the table this year? Honestly, I I would love to pick Stefania's brain about that pick. Um, I think I think you may be right. Um Drinking that that hometown Kool Aid uh, may may have lent some of that that bidding in, um, and you know maybe there was a dark horse that was just driving the price up. I I don't know, um, you know, and maybe she knows more than uh, more than we know. Um, but that is a significant chunk to spend in week one for a, a, a great unknown. Um, you know, again, it's week one. We're not having a whole lot of injuries yet, uh, but you've just spent 75% of your your allowance um, on a guy that may get you 25 points a game, 
he may get you 14. He may get you seven. So uh, it's an interesting, an interesting pick to say the least. Um, and, and I, you know, I want success for that. Uh, I think, you know, at 75% of your, your allowance, that's a, that's a risky move. So I hope it works out for her. Um, but me personally, I don't believe I, I would drop that amount of coin on week one. So, yeah, I, I think really what, what went into this a little bit of, of, of what I touched on earlier in these high stakes leagues, you know, these, these industry experts really do tend to plant their flag when they, when they have made uh, a strong evaluation for a player, they, they really do go all in. And Stefania did that quite literally with, yeah. uh, with this, with this bid. The, the second consideration is one that I sympathize with heavily, which is when it comes to your fab budget, your fab with two Bs, um, you are never going to get as much return on what you invest in those dollars as you will in week one. You acquire a player in week one, and you're going to have, in this case, 16 more weeks of production from that player, barring yeah. injury, right? Um, whereas you acquire a similar player in week 15, you've only got him for two more weeks, right? So right. ultimately, I I tend to spend a little bit more early um, and really try to maximize my return on what I'm, what I'm spending with those fab dollars. The, the the second player, the second most expensive player to be acquired was the, the person we, we touched on a moment ago. That's Tim Patrick. Um, so Jay came in at a cool 250 bucks a quarter of his available budget. Um, Shane Hollum uh, got him at a relatively steep discount relative to, to Jay. Uh, got him got him in and crossed the line for $115. That's and a actually in the pizza division, if anyone's listening, he's still a free agent. Go out and Why pick not? him up. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I mean, is, did you just start a bidding war in the pizza conference? We'll see. We run we run waivers twice a week, Tuesday night, Friday night. So I wouldn't be surprised. Actually, the pizza conference, to the point earlier about how much scoring they did at this sort of prolific rate in week one, uh, I think they're all feeling pretty good with how their, their rosters are, are composed because there wasn't a whole lot of waiver action. A few people, uh, James Coe most notably, was pretty busy on the, on the waiver wire, but not a whole lot of competing bids to – um to, to contend with for him so i think the i think the pizza conference is feeling pretty good about how their rosters are laid out maybe we see some action when we run uh fab again on, on friday night all right well we talked about the biggest bids for the week let's talk about some of the closest calls or the closest call on the waiver wire yeah these these always sting right like the the glory of victory when you see that you got a guy by a dollar more than the second place <laughs> bid the other side I, I feel bad my guy john june missed out on on zach pascal by a cool three bucks oh. so with this being a 14 team league essentially conferences with how deep these starting lineups are a, a guy like pascal can very much so contribute uh, week in and week out, especially if he continues scoring touchdowns at this rate. So to yeah. to see see a, a measly three dollars right on a thousand dollar budget be the difference. Um, it's it's got to sting for John. I, I know that Jeff is feeling pretty good about squeaking that one through for um, uh, with a with a really savvy bid. All right. Well, okay. So let's talk about an interesting claim made this week yeah so uh i've i've actually i've got i've got two reasons to highlight my guy scott engel the king himself um one true savvy veteran fashion he was super busy super active on on waivers this week but he was a budget shopper he acquired yeah. jj taylor uh he acquired ingram he acquired Jared Goff, the New York Giants, and he spent a little less than 12% of his budget. So wow. a lot of players onto his, his roster really continues to churn that bench, but has a sizable amount of that money left. And the interesting call is J.J. Taylor. Uh, he was actually the most expensive acquisition of all of the players that he targeted, spent $77 on him, 
and it it sort of makes me wonder right like we look at uh how well sony michelle performed through the majority of that game against the dolphins uh obviously everyone saw what ramadre stevenson could do in the preseason and so mm-hmm. to go out and spend nearly 10 percent of your budget on who might be the third or fourth string running back kind of makes me wonder if if scott might have his finger on the pulse of some inside information or maybe he's just worried that that fumble at the end of the game is going to find uh he's going to find Damian Harrison I, I think I actually said Sony Michelle earlier he's going to find Damian Harrison in in Belichick's doghouse um so really really interesting one to to watch play out over the course of the year all right yeah uh you know some of these moves i it it does sound like you know they may know a lot more than than the public knows <laughs> but uh let's talk about the steal of the day or the the week on on tuesday night yeah this this one surprised me um it it, it could be that the sort of positionless nature of how the rosters are constructed kind of eats away at at some of the premium that this player carries but uh Jawan johnson the tight end slash wide receiver for the New Orleans Saints. Um, he absolutely showed out in week one. He showed an immediate chemistry with um, now starter Jameis Winston. Um, ultimately, above and beyond the good day that he had in week one, he had two additional targets, one in the end zone that uh, very much so could have been a, a touchdown. Another one was a little bubble screen just outside of the end zone that he could have ran in. So I think Jawan Johnson offers some really prolific scoring upside. And so I, I was surprised to, to pull back the, the fab report and see that Dave Richard of CBS, our champion in year one, he scored Jawan Johnson for 25 bucks, two and a half percent. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's insane. You know, cause I, I feel like this uh, Jawan Johnson is easily a, a solid player in your flex role um, and to, to drop two and a half percent of your budget on, on a player like that. Yeah. I would call that a steal. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I'm, I'm not sure what led to it. Uh, the only kind of logical thing that I could assign to this is that uh, the sort of positionless nature of the roster really yeah. takes away that premium right uh in in other leagues and leagues where you're having to roster a tight end getting access to wide receiver level productivity at the tight end spot is a significant edge and and that is something that is uh ultimately a bit moot with how we construct our our lineups um but you know here in in week one i, I think more so Dave just kind of stole on the rest of his conference. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Agreed. Uh, so but I guess kind of the, the last note that I have on, on this, this, uh, this first waiver period is, is, is one of, of sorrow. And, and that's, <laughs> that's my good friend, Cooter Doodle. She was our snub of the week. Um, oh, no. She was very much so active. She had beds in on multiple players and specifically the two most coveted targets, Eli Mitchell, Tim Patrick on a thousand dollar budget. She missed both of those players by a combined $10. So that's Ugh. one where you wake up early on Wednesday, you're running through your fab report and, and you just, you, you gotta be kicking yourself thinking another dollar or two here, or there, and you might have scored easily scored the two biggest acquisitions of the week. So, yeah, uh, shout out to my girl Cooter Doodle. Uh, better days are are on the horizon yeah. for you. Uh, <laughs> maybe up that bid a little bit next time. Yeah, be a, and, and you've got enough going into week two. Uh, you've you've got like what we were talking about. Uh, you've got fifteen weeks, so you can maybe maybe you hit it in week two with with that same bid amount. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a tough one to wake up to. Um, but yeah, better days. <laughs> Completely. Well, like I said at the uh, at the top of the show, uh, every week we are going to be bringing on 
uh, one of our teams, uh, a pro and Joe pairing. Um, so for this, our, our inaugural podcast, super excited to have uh, Team Barrett, Shane Barrett and Jeff, Jeff Gustafson uh, here joining us. Shane, Jeff, thanks for, for making a little time to, to jump in. How's it going tonight? Good, man. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff, you doing good tonight? Jeff, can you hear us? I could, Eric keeps cutting out. I can't hear him. Oh, okay. <laughs> How you doing, Jeff? I can hear John and Shane. Good. <laughs> well, all right, Shane, I guess we'll get started with you. Uh, you're returning for your second year with the Pros with Joes, uh, playing again for the Alzheimer's Association. Uh, what made you choose that cause? And tell us a little bit about how you came across Pros with Joes. Yeah, so if you guys follow me on Twitter and know anything about me, Alzheimer's is very near and dear to my heart, my family's heart. Um, my wife's grandmother passed away two years ago from the disease. Um, and so shortly before that, I actually decided, because I was in Scott Fish's division um, in my first Scott Fish Bowl, to uh, start my own charity tournament. And so I started Polly's Playoff, which is a tournament to end Alzheimer's. And then shortly after I started that, I think Eric reached out to me on Twitter and DM'd me and was like, Hey, we're doing a, uh, a charity tournament um, called pros with Joe's where you have people bid on bid to draft and manage the team with you and um, goes to your, your fundraiser and, and whatnot. And then um, you manage the team all year with someone who's uh, just a fan. And I was like, I absolutely loved the concept. So I was like, hell yeah, sign me up. Like sign me yeah. up yesterday. Um, so then went through it and Jeff was actually my Joe last year and he's my Joe this year too. So I'm, I'm actually oh. pretty pumped, um, to be reunited. Um, but yeah, so Alzheimer's has just affected my family personally and Eric reached out to me and it's another way to, to spread awareness for it. So that's why we're doing it, man. Well, I appreciate that Shane, because, uh, I lost my grandmother to Alzheimer's as well. Um, they are always on my list of charities that I give to every year. Um, so I, I always love to support anybody that's, that's trying to raise money for, for AA, uh, Alzheimer's association. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not, to, not to be confused, but I mean, they may need money too, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, we're just glad that you're back for a second year. Um, Jeff, we'll go to you. Um, Tell me about about your fantasy career um, and how you heard about President Joe's. <laughs> um, well, I've been playing probably about 25 years in a home league. Oh, wow. Um, followed, followed Shane on Twitter, um, joined his poly playoffs last year, and then saw the pro for Joe's and signed that up last year and won. And then I did poly pops again this year and then won again pro and Joe's, uh, pro with Joe's again this year. That's cool. And it, you know, it's 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 really cool that that you guys are back, you know, together, like bringing the band yeah. back together and everything. Um, yeah. So you kind of have that you kind of have that dynamic of working together, um, and I think that's invaluable going into this season. Um, that being said, uh, let's talk about week one. Well, uh, do we have to? <laughs> it's i mean it's public record at this point shane so uh yeah. like uh where where does your team need help like what happened where where do you think uh, the fall was i mean you you had an opponent that was just basically unstoppable um but you know what what were some of your pros and and cons to to week one and and where do you see going forward yeah uh and so Jeff set our lineup. Um, so, and, and I'm not, I'm not, hold on. That came out really wrong. Jeff set our lineup. Jeff set our lineup, but he, he would, he said it how I would have said it and how we drafted it. Um, so really what we, what we need is just for our studs outside of Darren Waller to step up and do what they're supposed to. So like Derrick Henry barely scored over 10 points. James Robinson only had eight points. Screw you. Urban Meyer, Cortland Sutton, <laughs> only had two points. Russell Gage yeah. got a big fat zero. So really it wasn't, it wasn't Jeff's fault at all. It was just really a, a, a bad week one. Um, yeah. And 
honestly, it, it matches the rest of my, my fantasy teams. So it's just fitting that, you know, this is how it happened. Hey. No, note to self. We need to, we need to fade Shane in week one. Right. in all fantasy leagues <laughs> for and, real though my record in week one is horrid um i'm right there with you honestly while i was while i was watching this game progress um you know uh, jim got out to a early lead Huge with his lead. players in uh tampa bay in that tampa bay dallas game and yep. right when jerry judy went down with injury it seemed to me like that was going to be the Cortland sutton to the moon moment um and he he really did come up flat so you know, I think this is just a bit of a bit of week one rust for your team, but secondarily, yeah. I mean, you guys ran into an absolute buzzsaw. Jim yeah. Coventry is the highest scoring team in the league. He was also rocking a donut with Brandon Ayuk in his roster, and he still outscored everybody by a good eight ten points. So yeah, so the um, difference though is he did, he had that one donut, and then his six piece from his defense, which is probably pretty good for a defense. But then everybody was above twelve points. Yeah, far and away, and that yeah, that adds up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so so Jeff, this one's for you. Uh, who is who's Team Barrett hoping to pick up the slack in week two? Uh, and and where where would you say outside of the the big starters, where where are you looking for the most help in week two? Oh, I think our running backs definitely need to step up. Like I said, Derrick Henry and yep. I took Derrick Henry third in my home league, and he I lost the first week too. Yep, same, <laughs> same. Yep, <laughs> he was a he was a big draft pick for me. Uh, overspent it seems like after week one, yep. uh, but hopefully we'll uh, we'll get the value back in in weeks two through 16, uh, 17. Jeez, yeah, that's weird, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's all new again. So. <laughs> <laughs> one of one of the things that that really jumped off the page with with your roster construction is you two easily waited the longest on quarterback. Uh, you're you're sitting there with a pairing of Kirk Cousins and Sam Darnold. Um, it, it, was that intended to be more of a, a strategy advantage to build depth elsewhere? Um, are you bullish on those players and just thought they offered great value? Can you kind of walk us through? You're thinking on how the team came together at that position specifically. Yeah, Jeff, I'll let you you answer first, and then <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll. Oh, he was asking that we because we waited the longest on quarterback. Yeah. Um, was that intentional, um, or and were we super bullish on those players, or was it more strategy and just kind of taking who was left um, well, to build depth elsewhere? During the draft, I think Eric kept saying he could see everybody's cue. And yeah, you can yeah. see people get picked off, and I think that's what happened to us. Every time we had a quarterback that we wanted to get, it would get taken before. And so then we just rotate to running back or wide receiver. But, I mean, Kirk Cousins performs. I mean, I don't Yeah, like I was going to say, he's, he's got weapons. Yeah, if you miss all the top guys, I think Kirk Cousins is a good yep. starter. If you're going to go wide yeah. receiver, running back. Yeah, I was totally comfortable with it. I but like you said, when we were going through the draft, we were like, "Oh yes, Dak's coming, Dak's coming," <laughs> and Dak's gone. And then yep. it was like, uh, "Oh, Stafford." Okay, we got a shot at Stafford. We got a shot at Stafford. Then there he goes. Yep. And that happened to us probably two or three more times. But yeah, I I'm happy with Cousins because he's typically an underrated fantasy quarterback. Um, and then Darnold as a backup is someone who I am I'm super bullish on just because he's finally out of the Adam Gase curse. Yeah. <laughs> and probably honestly has the best weapons that he's ever had. Um, How does with, keep getting work? Yeah, with with <laughs> CMC and DJ Moore. And, um, well, it's funny that you mentioned that, John. I think he now he's coaching high school. And it's like, bro, why? Like, how are you even coaching high school? You are that bad. Yeah, his <laughs> – his offensive coordinator friend is uh, Dell Loggins. I, I went to high school with him, um, and he was a backup quarterback for, for us um, in high school. And I, I, he may be coaching backup quarterbacks at this point now. Um, have to look into that. But, uh, yeah, I think 
I think Sam Darnold has some some upside to him uh, now that he's free of of that offensive scheme, if if you can call it that. <laughs> That's a generous word for yeah. it. <laughs> Carrying uh, forward, uh, looking across the league, some of the the happenings and news and notes of of today. Um, arguably, the the biggest news to come out very early. Uh, head coach Devin, Kevin Stefanski uh, was kind enough to rule out Odell Beckham Jr. here on a Wednesday for us. So we we have visibility into uh, what to do and how we can account for that when setting our fantasy lineups this week, but. I, I guess kind of looking at this Browns offense as a whole, Shane, what do you think the absence of OBJ means heading into this week two matchup? Yeah, so you must have saved this question because I'm a Browns fan. Um, but I, I, from a long-term standpoint, I, I think it kind of sucks just because I'm ready to see what OBJ looks like in the offense now that Baker is more comfortable in the offense as well. But from a short-term perspective, to me what this says is the stock is is raising on players like David Njoku, maybe Harrison Bryant and Austin Hooper um, as well, and then definitely Anthony Schwartz, and I absolutely love that kid because um, I'm also an Auburn fan. But Baker also seemed to like Schwartz, and the and they've got a cle- kind of clear-cut role for Schwartz. So I think – this gives him more opportunity to prove that he was worth that third round draft pick. Um, And that just like, even when Odell comes back, that gives them another weapon. Like again, I think long-term it affects the chemistry between Baker and, and OBJ and potentially the whole offense. Yeah. But because it gives them the ability to build those other players up, it could make them even more deadly long term as well because they don't have to necessarily rely on Odell but they've got Odell, Jarvis, Chubb, Hunt, Landry, um Anthony Schwartz, Harrison Bryant, David Njoku like clearly I'm a fan I could name the whole damn roster if I had to. Um <laughs> hey, Jarvis Landry's he's on my roster in a couple of leagues and and I I love Odell going down as a not Browns fan. So uh yeah. should get a lot more points from Jarvis uh in the weeks to come so do you, yeah, do you think that this this was kind of the emergence of, of Schwartz? I, I know that People Jones got the start when when OBJ was scratched. Do you think that that remains the case for week two? Or do you think that uh, based on the, the week one performance that we see him switch it up? I could see him switch it up. Um, well, and that's another name too, like DPJ. Like he didn't have a great fantasy performance, but he's still talented and he's an athletic freak. So like just another weapon that they've got that he's young needs to develop probably a little bit more still, but like, yeah, I, I I don't know. I could see they clearly like, I don't know. It just felt like they clearly had a role cut out for Schwartz and he performed in it. So I could, I hope to continue to see that going forward, but then maybe depending on the game and game script, they open it up more and, and DPJ gets involved or Richard Higgins gets involved as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they 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 certainly shouldn't have uh, really any difficulty uh, in in their matchup this week. So um, uh, they they sort of have a, a a blank canvas to run out there and um, try whatever they like uh, lining up against uh, against their, their that team in, in week two. So yeah, and they looked good against Kansas City up. too. Yeah, I mean. Well, like most Browns thing ever to just completely yeah. come out and look like they have that game <laughs> under control only to snatch snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, right? Yeah, pretty much. It's it's a hard life being a Browns fan. I'm <laughs> every year is so it's filled with such anticipation and then they become the Browns again. And it's like it's it's got to be a rough life. It's hard knock life for us. Uh, speaking of hard knocks, uh, Ertz did not practice today because his hamstring hurts. Uh, are we dropping Zach Ertz or are we 
we holding on to him and hoping his age doesn't affect long term in the season? I think I'm gonna hold at least for this week. Um, but if this continues to be a problem, Dallas Goddard's stock will hopefully find. Like I think his stock and his actual value might actually finally match. Meet. <laughs> yeah. Always great though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, All right, Eric, the thing that ahead. that was interesting to me, right, on on Wednesday mornings as I'm going out there and picking up all of my zero dollar guys, as everyone else is still asleep early in the morning, <laughs> I, I saw I saw Urch dropped in in a number of spots, and and I'm I'm with you, Shane. It, it felt it felt a little premature uh, to be dropping a guy that is part of an offense that so heavily features the the tight end. So yeah. I, I think it's going to be difficult to find to find your spots where it's going to be an Earth week or a Goddard week. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that position is very much so prominent in the Philly offense. Um, so I, I think it's going to be fits and starts for Earth, but a, a little too little too to cut bait coming out of coming out of week one. Um, speaking of guys that at least I've seen some places being cut. Uh, Brandon Ayuk. We talked about him delivering the donut in week one for Jim Uh it's, It felt like over the course of the entire offseason, everyone had either planted their flag in Team Debo or Team Ayuk. Uh, obviously, Debo is up 1-0 in, uh, in the initial uh, results of that polling. Um, but it's it's a super bizarre situation to watch unfold. Ayuk absolutely looked electric uh, over the course of the 2020 season. And now he might be flirting with Shanahan's doghouse. I think the commentary that came out today was that if he wants to play, he's got to be a lot better than the guy behind him. So not exactly yeah. a ringing endorsement from, from the, the Shanahan coaching staff there. Um, yeah. If it obviously feels like it's it's way premature to cut bait on Brandon Ayuk, but I mean, what do you what do you make of this whole situation? Do you think it's lingering injury? Do you think there's some off the field stuff that we might not be privy to? Um, how how do you square it? Man, that's a really tough question. Um, there, it, it almost feels like there might even be a little bit of ego, like thrown in of just butting heads between Ayuk and, and Shanahan. Um, but, man, like, Ayuk was so good last year. But the thing was is Debo and, and Kittle were in and out of the lineup. So it was like, was it just, was it kind of Devontae Parker-ish where they didn't have anybody else to throw to? Or is Ayuk actually that talented? And maybe he's just gotten complacent or even a little bit lazy because he didn't have to work as hard last year because he knew he was getting volume. Now it's like, okay, crap. These guys are back. (laughs) What do I do? And I I don't know. It's, it's not, it's really not looking great. I'm, I'm not happy. Um, I'm, I wasn't really in either camp. Um, to be completely honest, I've got a, a couple shares here or there of both, but, um, man, it it's it's tough to watch, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll throw out receipts even when I'm on the wrong side of it. I was I was firmly on Team Ayuk, and I think the reason why this was such a polarizing debate is in this run first scheme, everyone agrees. One, maybe the only thing everyone can agree on, there's just not enough volume to support three pass catchers, right? Obviously, Kenny's yeah. got his role squared out, and that is his to be had. But the question is, who's the second pass receiver? Who's the second pass catcher, I should say? Mm-hmm. And whomever that is is likely going to feast. And I'm I'm not sure if there's much that can happen that will uh, shift these trade wins in Ayuk's favor in, in the weeks to come. Yeah, I don't know. Well, and that's an interesting point too. 
Um, like it does is Ayuka trade candidate candidate for the 49ers now? Like there are some there are some wide receiver needy teams. Do they yeah. they cut bait? Um, and if they do, like think they drafted it. Did, I think they drafted him in the first round, right? First or second last question. year? He was early. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was in very early round. Um. So, like, do do they do they keep keep him? Uh, do they do they trade him? If they trade him, or what loss are they willing to take? Yeah. yeah what do you get? He's, he's <laughs> yeah. 25th overall. Uh, 25th okay. overall selection in 2020. So they're they're heavily invested in him, but they're they've also shown a willingness to be really aggressive on the trade market. Uh, yeah. So and and because of that, they've they've got some holes in their future draft boards that they might want to make up. So it's a it's a fair point. It, I would tend to think that if we're going to see that, we would see Ayuk's usage ramp up a bit, right? Because I mean, basically, mm-hmm. Kyle Shanahan to get him out just, there. Yeah, he's just dragging yeah. his asset through the mud. So yeah, um, you know, kind of kind of boost him a bit before they get him out on the market. But uh, not not something I considered before, but certainly on the on the range of outcomes. Yeah, and I think I think any unhappy wide receiver in the locker room is something that you gotta get out of the locker room or resolve that situation. Um, they're very much like thoroughbreds. Um, and so you have an un, unhappy wide receiver, you have an unhappy offense. And that's, that's something that, you know, he, yeah, first round pick, but is he bringing your team down in the, in the course of this? So um, yeah, I think they, if they are going to trot him out, they've, they've got to give him some, some points available. Um, getting some passes, so. <clears throat> so, looking ahead to Thursday night, um, anybody from any either of the teams that that you guys are looking at to to have some big performances? I mean, it's it's a prime time game. It's not Monday night, but it's the new Monday night. Uh, who's, Another who's the big performers? Thursday night matchup, right? <laughs> yeah. The Giants and the football team. Yeah. Jeff, what Barnford. do you think of that one? <laughs> well, I got McLaren and uh, Logan Thomas, so I hope they uh, do good. <laughs> I, yeah. Honestly, yeah. I think that's probably it. Yeah. I want in this game. Yeah. And how much, you know, they use Barkley. Uh, that guy, Saquon is he burned me last year and I'm just waiting. <laughs> I I was talking earlier and uh I'm just waiting for Saquon's leg to fall off this year. Um, yeah. I I you know that offensive line for the Giants is abysmal. And so I mean it's like I I don't understand everybody drafting Saquon so high this year because of that. Um it'll be interesting and I you know maybe I'm wrong maybe he has a breakout season like, you know, two seasons ago, but it's hard to come back from that kind of ACL injury. And, you know, it's, I I don't see, you know, based on week one performances, I don't see the spark that he had two years ago. So I'm not really going to carve out time tomorrow night to watch this game, but uh, (laughs) we'll, we'll see what, what performances we see. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm I know. Kind of sitting, sitting in that seat, you know, heavily invested in this Washington passing game. You know, I, I, I would, I would wonder how you're feeling about the emergence of of Taylor Heineke, right? Um, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick has a hip injury that no, nobody can pronounce, and I don't think we're going to see much subluxation. There you go. <laughs> there, yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. Check out, check out the big brains on Brad. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm feeling that good, if I'm if I'm that heavily invested in the football team's pass catchers. Uh, Jeff, Shane, I don't know if you have uh, any any opposing thoughts to that. No, l- yeah, like, I think basically from a, a passing game standpoint, you want Terry – you maybe want Logan Thomas. I'm not a big Thomas guy, but um, he's obviously, the, I think, the the second option there. And then everything, everybody else to me seems kind of like a, a downgrade now that 
Fitzmagic is out. Um, so it, it will be interesting to see what Heineke's learned over the offseason and, and over the past year of when he got his first start last year to now and see what steps he can make to being and, – and not even him being a viable fantasy option, but like making other people viable fantasy options. Yeah. So I think that that's the, a huge concern. I, I think maybe the biggest silver lining out of all of this is the impact on Antonio Gibson. Um, I'm yep. very much so in, in Tony Hill Gibson Stan. Uh, I've I've got him in a number of places. And why are we, why are we friends? <laughs> why are we friends? You like Joe Mixon and Antonio Gibson? What the you hell? Know, it makes for good debate. So my my whole argument. Over the, the yin and yang summer for Antonio Gibson was if he can get even half of the passing workload out of that backfield, he's a steal in the early second round. And with Heineke in there, he out targeted JD McKissick five to one. So if that's a trend that continues, in addition to his 20 rushing attempts, if he's going to get four or five targets a week, I, I think that he very much so is going to be flirting with that running back one week in and week out. Um, but that, that offense has to be able to at least advance the ball down the field for him to convert on his upside and, and score the ball a bit. Yeah. I don't know, man. I just, I've never been sold on Gibson. Um, it, it did a, I think you were in the group chat. I can't remember, but did a, a Twitter debate with, uh, Oh, what is his name? Rob FF addict, Rob addict FF or something like that from going for two. And we debated Gibson and I was on the, the, the non Gibson side. Um, <laughs> just because they're like, and I saw a stat today where he only had four, I think four games where he had over 70 yards last year. Um, and two of those were probably Dallas. And now obviously he still gets Dallas and they lost Tank Lawrence today, so their defense is gonna their run defense is gonna be horrid. But um, I think overall they'll they'll be improved. And I don't know, man. I just I don't see it, not yet at least. Yeah, time time will tell. There's a uh, there's room for you on the Gibson bandwagon whenever you decide to convert. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. All right, uh, Eric, we got some listener questions. Uh, I know, uh, did, did you want to go touch on a couple of those or? Yeah, yeah, we, we, had, a, we had a few come in. Uh, John, if you want to toss those up and kind of discuss. Okay, yeah, so we've got, um, Mike was asking, uh, can you start Saquon Barkley this Thursday with any confidence? My other options are Mike Davis, Tyson Williams, or Jamal Williams. I think he actually tweeted this to me too. Oh, um, yeah. Well, now's the time to answer it, Shane. Um, <laughs> it's Mike Davis, Tyson Williams, and Jamal Williams are his other options. Uh, Mike Davis, Tyson Williams, and Jamal Williams. Yes. Oh. Man, that's tough. Um, I, if you had better options, I would, I would sit, I would sit Saquon to be honest. Yeah. Um, because that Washington defense is nasty. The only reason I'm considering keeping him in the lineup is because <laughs> your other options are are not great. I think Tyson gets you the volume potentially, um, and Jamal, Jamal could be sneaky as a flex play, but I don't like, you don't want that as your RB one or RB two. Um, because that, if he falls flat, doesn't have a good game, then you're, uh, you're in trouble. Yeah. Uh, so we'll do one more question. Uh, Sal asked, we've got, uh, CEH rostered. Uh, who, who's he talking about CEH? I'm sorry. Clyde Edwards. Uh, he's a uh, he's there a we Edwards go. Layer owner. <clears throat> okay, uh, he's got Eli Mitchell on waivers and wants to know if he should drop either Daryl Williams or Rojo to add James White, Mark Ingram, or Kenny Gainwell. 
Yeah, so it sounds like it sounds like Sal was able to get one through and secured Mitchell on yep. waivers. Now he's looking at White, Ingram, or Gainwell. And I, I think he's I think he's mm-hmm. sweating who to drop based on Rojo in this doghouse or his handcuff in Daryl Williams. So early in the season, it sounds like it's probably a, a shorter bench format. Um, you know, how how do you feel about letting your your handcuff go um, or Rojo for that matter for either of those options? Um, Jeff, you got any thoughts on that? On Rojo or Daryl Williams for Gainwell Ingram or who was the other one? James White. James White. Jeff, you there? Jeff. Yeah. Hey. I'm a Joe, remember? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I will say oh. I picked up Kenny Gainwell today. So yeah. I, I no, like Kenny Gainwell in Philly. I so Eric, to answer your question, I am a huge handcuff guy. Um the but I'm gonna throw a caveat here into this one. Um, the Chiefs played the Browns last week, obviously. Browns have one of the best defensive lines in the league. And so they were not able to... Like, CEH didn't have a great game from a fantasy perspective. Um, but I also believe he was one of two or three players that had 90% or more snap share. Um, so with that in mind... I might be okay cutting Daryl Williams for, I think, man, I would probably go James White. Um, I don't know if I'm ready to fully invest and fully trust in this Philly offense. And then, <laughs> and then Ingram, somebody tweeted out today, I can't remember who it was, has a absolute murderer's row for the next four weeks when it comes yeah. to defenses. So I don't necessarily see Houston being in a run-heavy game script. So I basically want James White here, and I'd be willing to drop Williams for him. I think in a short bench situation. Yeah, we uh, we we got to chat a little bit about Ingram and the idea of adding him uh, on the nightcap a few nights ago. So, yeah. so shout out me and me and Shane running it back, and that was that was exactly it, right? Like this is probably the only instance where the Texans are ever going to have a double digit lead over the course of the until season. they play Jacksonville again. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, circle, circle that date on your calendar. But apart from that, you're, you know, you're absolutely picking him up at, uh, at his, his highest uh, value. And, and I think you're going to get diminishing returns week in and week out. So I, I tend to agree. I think, I think James White is really the only one that you can be confident in how, he's going to be utilized in that offense of the three. There were just kind of fluky or circumstantial things that were ultimately informing what we saw out of Mark Ingram and out of Kenny Gainwell in, in week one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think that wraps up all the questions we had this week. Uh, Jeff, first yeah. to you, thanks for, for joining us. Um, anybody or anything you want to shout out? While we got you on, on the show. <laughs> uh, no, I live in a small Iowa town. I'm like the only guy that gets on Twitter and follows you. I, yeah, everybody else is a big. Uh, they still do the Yahoo Fantasy Pro thing, so oh, it no. helps me out a lot. Watching you, <laughs> listen to you guys. Trust me. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're glad to. Glad to have you again. Uh, wish you both the best of luck. Um, Shane, you want to let everybody know where they can find you on on the interwebs and Twitters? Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at FFShaneB. Uh, make sure you like and subscribe to our YouTube page, which is Fantasy Football Collective. You can follow us on Twitter at FF underscore collective. That's K-O-L-L-E-C-T-I-V. Um, and then I'm the co-host of the Fantasy Nightcap. We'll be bringing you waiver wires uh, every, uh, well, we record every Monday night, releases every Tuesday. Um, so hopefully get you some some advantage over that uh, 
the rest of your league for for waiver pickups. So week one's probably our most important episode. Feel like we we did a good job, um, especially because Eric specifically outbid me in one league by a freaking <laughs> dollar. Um, so yeah, I think we uh, I, th- I think we we did a good job. So um, make sure you you check that out and listen to that too. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff, Jeff, Shane, thanks for, thanks for jumping on board with us for uh, our, our inaugural episode. We're going to be doing this every single week. You can look for the pros with Joe's podcast to drop Thursday mornings. We are super excited to be part of the Dr. Roto podcast network. So anywhere that you get podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple podcasts, the like, go ahead and search for pros with Joe's podcast. Or you can just go directly to the Dr. Roto Podcast Network and get all of the amazing content that Dr. Roto and team are pushing out. And while you're there, go ahead and press on that little subscribe button. Throw a rating in there. It really, really helps us reach more people as we're trying to spread the word about the work that we're doing. And we'll be back again for week two. Thanks, everyone. All right. See you all next week.